going to invite Cheryl up. It's uh, my great privilege to introduce Cheryl officially to you, although she's not new. Um, Cheryl came to meet, actually came to faith quite radically later in her, in her 20s and felt God call her to ministry. And she studied at uh, Cape Town Baptist Seminary and has felt the call um, in various seasons of, of life. And where that's led her and her family is to East London. And Cheryl, thank goodness for that, praise the Lord to our church. But Cheryl is actually a pastoral care counselor, actually a biblical counselor, and um, she has been a tremendous blessing. Cheryl, you've been such a blessing to us at SBC, and um, it just felt like you've arrived as a family, and we've just been blessed by you. And as um, someone that's worked with Cheryl um, in the counseling side of things, um, it's been such an addition to us and what God is doing. And many of us have already experienced the gift that God has given Cheryl um, through her own counseling, us as a family, we've, we've been so blessed by her. But she's also got a heart to teach. And this morning, she has a word for us. And I just want to encourage you and pray that our hearts be wide open now. That the Lord would lead us into his will as a church. And um, that we would sense his presence as Cheryl preaches. Let's pray. Father, this is an awesome moment as your word is unfolded from heaven. And we remind ourselves that the key mark of your leadership on our lives is your voice. And Lord, we want to hear it clearly this morning. And Lord, thank you that you have already prepared this word in Cheryl's heart. Would you just give us such grace and power to bring it forth for us this morning. And Lord, might there be anointing on us to hear well. Father, we are, we are recognizing that you are doing something special here at SBC, in the city and beyond. Lord, would this be a timely word, a mobilizing word, a word that would lead us to perhaps we never thought of going, or perhaps where we didn't want to go, but we are willing now that we know it's your voice. We pray for this in your precious name. Amen. Thank you so much for that introduction. It's so wonderful to be here this morning. Well done for making it. Um, I was reminded um, of Cape Town when I heard the wind last night. And uh, when, I, when I arrived in Cape Town, I lived in Joburg, there wasn't wind like that. And I remember, I remember just this, this gust and people being you know, uh, thrown across the, the roads. And once I was, I was traveling with my son, Daniel, he was in a little pram and the, the wind literally took the pram across the road. Um, thank God there was someone who helped me to grab him. But um, yeah, we've just been reminded of what the wind does and how powerful it is. And my prayer is really that God's gust of the Holy Spirit comes in and clears out those cobwebs and just grabs us this morning as we get into his word. So my question this morning is, was the city worth it? I'm sure listening to the testimonies, I think we'd probably say yes. All that uh, cost, it's not close. Um, the vehicles that went, um, I mean, the, the Kettle's beautiful Land Cruiser and uh, one of the elders, Howie, he'd got, I think it was a relatively new car, um, which, whew, but uh, those roads were bad. The cost, the, the cost to people who, who, who couldn't be here, the cost to the church because key leaders and elders and a lot of the young adults were there, um, was it worth it? I'd like us to look at the text this morning and give an answer from the text that with a resounding yes, it was definitely worth it. So the context to the um, Philippians passage that I'm preaching on this morning 
is that the church had collected a financial gift for Paul, who was in chains in Rome, and sent it with Epaphroditus. Along with that gift came news of a deepening opposition towards the church in Philippi. So Paul's written this letter to the church, and his plan was to give it to this Epaphroditus to take it back to Philippi. But not just that, he wanted Timothy to go as well to make sure that they had read the letter and that they were, were responding to the letter, and also to give news of what was happening with him and his trial. So remember the earlier chapters, Paul had thanked them for the gift, he's urged them to greater unity and humility, and one of his chief concerns here is the progress of the gospel in Philippi, how this gospel is at work in them and through them. Remember, Matt preached so beautifully last week on it's God's spirit that is at work in us and through us according to his purpose. So I've, I've entitled the sermon, Living a Life Worthy of the Gospel, and the scripture is from Philippians 2, 19 to 24. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. These verses are a window into the heart of Paul. Now, Paul was a very complex man, a very gifted man. He's an apostle, he's an evangelist, he's a theologian, he's the author of many books in the New Testament, he's a teacher, he's a phenomenal preacher, but here we see Paul as a pastor a man who cares deeply about the spiritual well-being of the believers in Philippi. So he writes to them, but that's not enough. He sends Timothy at a great cost to him personally because he can't go. So let's just pause a bit to reflect on this itinerary. Okay, and there's a map here so that you can see how far it is. Philippi in ancient Macedonia, which is now Greece, is a Roman colony, approximately a 1,000 well, actually 1,200 kilometers from Rome. According to Google, that's a 20-hour drive. Now, unfortunately, they didn't have Google or cars then. <laughs> so it would have taken weeks, if not months, for this trip to happen. Traveling was very dangerous and very costly. This is not a quick run around the block or um, send uh, Bryce quickly to Ganubi. Ganubi is so far, by the way, East London standards. So, this was three trips that Paul had planned. Epaphroditus was going back, Timothy was going to go there and come back, and then Paul wanted to go there and presumably come back. Why would Paul do so much for a bunch of random people living so far away? Well, the answer can only be that he had a deep love for them. They weren't random. Remember Lydia? He led her to Christ, shared the gospel. She was at a prayer meeting on the side of the river, and that was the beginning of the church, bang. The Holy Spirit did his work, and uh, she was baptized with her family, and uh, he, she invited Paul back to her household, and we also then they got into trouble later on and ended up in jail, um, not Lydia, but Paul did, because he cast out a demon from, from the, the, the young girl there. 
And then in jail, what happens? The Holy Spirit is working, they're busy singing and praising, the jailer comes to the Lord and his family. So you can imagine Paul, these were precious people. Um, these were important people in his life. He knew their names. He had really, really cared about them. And that is why this love prompted him in what would others, others would term a crazy response and would lead to weeks and months of grueling travel. So this brings me to my first point. To live a life worthy of the gospel means that love for the people of God leads us to action. Love is a doing word. Remember those doing words, the verbs. We see just in that, this little section that love gives generously, okay, because the Philippian church had given to Paul. Love responds. He acknowledges and thanks them. Love prays in Paul's letter. It's full of prayer for them. Love teaches and guides them. He doesn't want them to be stuck. Love encourages and builds up. Love sends the best. And this is an important one. Love follows up. I don't know about you, but I get like shivers, not in a good way, when I hear about all the hit and run evangelism that's been done in Africa. And that is why often in Africa there's a very shallow faith and so much syncretism because people have massive crusades, people come to faith and they get their scorecards, look at all of these souls saved. But what about the people? We are not just souls, we are, we are people. God redeemed our physical bodies, he redeemed our hearts. He redeemed our spirits. Um, and one day we will, there will be a resurrection in the body. God cares for us holistically. And Paul cared for these people holistically. And that's why he wanted to follow up. So he models for us what it means to love God's people in practical ways. He knows that a letter is not enough. He needs to send a person. They need a pastor. And he can't go himself, so he sends the next best thing, which is Timothy. Where does Paul get this love? I mean, how does he do all of this? And, and this is what I want to just warn you about today, is to think Paul and this, the pastor and the Timothy and the missionaries, they're all like up there, and, and we're just here. We're just like normal, normal regular people. We've got busy lives. Guys, I want to say to you that this applies to each and every one of us. This scripture is important for each and every one of us. We don't believe that there's a, a, a massive difference between clergy and laity, all right? The priests do the stuff and the flock just sit there and receive. That's not the action that I mean, driving to church and, and, and receiving the sermon. That's the only action that we do. It's, that's not according to God's word. So we need this love. It's Christ's love that compels, and we read in 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ controls us, Paul says, because we've concluded that one died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who might live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who, was for their, for, who for their sake died and was raised. The word compel, control, restrain literally means to hold together. Um, if you can imagine, it was, the picture was to be hemmed in on both sides. So it was used as a traveler in a narrow passage or gorge. He literally couldn't move to the right, he couldn't move to the, to the left, unable to turn any way but, but, but go ahead, straight on. One line, one purpose. That's what the word means. And Paul uses this word to say what the love of Christ does to him. Directs every act. Um, restrains him from every self-seeking desire. One commentator by the name of Cessna Speaks states this, 
This love suggests the Lord seizing us to hold us and maintain us in the sovereign and exclusive possession. It takes possession of us so forcefully that it compels us to love in return and wraps up our whole being. More than pressure, it is a compulsion that orients our whole life and all our conduct. The fervor of this agape, which is suggestive of a fire, can be compared to a burning fever and thus implies intense emotion, the giving of one's heart. It was this love that caused Paul to give up everything and count it as rubbish compared to knowing Christ. It was this love that made Paul a bondservant as he introduces himself and Timothy at the beginning of the letter. So Paul is so captivated by the love of Christ that his heart beats with Christ's heart. And what does Christ's heart beat with? Christ's heart beats with love for the people he died for. Thank the Lord. Christ's heart beat for you and for I. For you and for me, that's, that's his heart. And that's why people were sent. That's why we're in this church today. So what about us? Church, we cannot manufacture this love. It's impossible. We cannot be moved to action by guilt or by manipulation or by someone else's expectation. It has to come from the love of God for us, what he did for us. And this love needs to have feet and this love needs to have hands. Where is our presence needed? Where can we embody the love of Christ to someone else? It can be at home, yes, sometimes that's the hardest place for us to embody, ask my family, they're sitting there. Um, it's very hard to, 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 to embody the love of Christ often to our family members, but we need to. What about our workplace, our colleagues? What about our school? Those difficult students that we don't like, or, or if you are at school, um, the people that you don't really want to hang with but it also needs to move us out of our work and home and school and context. It also needs to move us out of our comfort zones. Out of our comfort zones. And that's scary. Placing ourselves where Christ would be, I think we'll be amazed at the love you experience. And, and this was so evident, um, Mark already stole it, but it's okay, I forgive you, Mark. Um, when he said, with the orphanage team, the difference from when we left and when we came back, their eyes were just shining with this light. So it wasn't like, you know, when we were praying before and we met, we were like, Lord, give us your love, give us your love. We didn't, I don't know about them, but I didn't feel a gooey like love for the people of Lesotho, no. But when we got there and they were ministering to those beautiful kids and when we were on the mountain and I saw Francois sharing with this old lady who, who had sore knees and and she thought she had to work to earn, to earn God's favor. And just the love of Christ shining in his, in his eyes. It comes when we actually put ourselves in a situation where we need him to minister. So we're not going to be sitting at home one day saying, Lord, fill me with your love for the orphans and the broken and the widows. And no, okay, sometimes it does. Um, but generally, it's as we step out. It's as we step out. My dad once... Um, he, uh, he helped some people with bunk beds. There was a call for bunk beds for these orphans. And uh, years later, he like adopted them. Not only did they have bunk beds, but they had a father 
who cared, who wrote to them, who gave them, who paid for braces, who sent them to school, who, who's still in touch with them, even though one of them is in Australia. Love in action means we start with what we have. And as we led by the Spirit, He pours out more grace and more grace and more grace. So church, not all of us can go, no. But do you know some woman from this church knitted each orphan a beautiful scarf? Even the two-year-old had a different size scarf to the 16-year-old. How precious is this? I just thought that was so beautiful. We, I think God ministered in the city because people were praying for us. So it doesn't matter what you can or can't do, but I think you need to find, Lord, where are you wanting me to embody the love of Christ? And I need to say this as well because we are such a techie generation and WhatsApp messages and voice notes are just so easy. Guys, sometimes they're not enough. An encouraging message is amazing, but if you can, pray, Lord, do you actually want me to physically go and sit with that person at work who's really battling in a life crisis right now? We need to embody the love of Jesus. Secondly, we see Paul and Timothy's main concerns are Christ's concerns. He says, for I have no one like him. No one who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. That's quite a hectic statement. And I'm sure he wasn't referring to the other apostles because there were lots of good men. When he says no one like him, he actually means like a kindred spirit. The word is like souls. So soulmates, but soulmates in the Lord. (laughs) Timothy was like a soulmate to him. If we look at Timothy, not only was he a kindred spirit, he genuinely was concerned for their welfare. And I think we know um, when people really care and when they're pretending, hey, when they're pretending, they're like, how are you? And they like, look around, and you're like, I'm here. So irritating. When someone's genuinely concerned, there's eye contact, they're present, they're listening. Um, Paul and Timothy genuinely cared, and Timothy was actually quite anxious about the church in Philippi. And note that his concern mirrors Christ's concerns. Earlier in the, gospel, in the, in the letter, um, Paul reminds us to do nothing out of selfish ambition, or he's speaking to the Philippians, but rather consider others better than yourselves. And here, literally, they were doing that. They were not looking at, Paul was not going, oh, I'm in chains, I need Timothy, I need him to minister to me. I'm, I'm just feeling like I can't spare him right now. No, Paul was like, Timothy, you must go. I'm, I'm looking to other people's interests. Imagine church being known as someone who seeks the interests of others. And on the other hand, imagine church being listed as someone who seeks after their own. I want you to picture Matt talking to the elders, or maybe he's just praying before the Lord on his own, and he's saying, oh, I really need someone to go to, 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 to minister for me at this specific place, but it's quite far. Who can I send, Lord? Who can I send? There's John, but oh, he's so busy at work. He's trying to, like, he's trying to get a promotion, and he's just so stressed at work, I can't send him. There's Bridget, but sure, she's so tied up in her kids' extramurals. I mean, they do everything. These kids, and they've got such a hectic schedule. Like, I can't send her. Uh, There's Bob. It's the World Cup that weekend. Oh, no. He's going to be watching rugby. 
Susan's renovating her house and, and so anxious about like what's happening. She's stressed out about it. I can't send her. Timothy. I can send Timothy. You put your name there. And guys, when I, when I mention those scenarios, I can place myself in all of them. Okay, I'm the mom who's running around after three kids. Okay, I, I am. I have been. There's almost like a, a fear in school these days that if your child doesn't do everything, they're going to be a failure. So we put them up and they, we run around. And if that's, that's good in some ways, we want to expose them. But if that takes precedence and we never have time for the Lord, it's a problem, Right? And it's good to work hard, and it's good to watch rugby, especially when we win. But if that takes precedence, and we only give, you know, God the leftovers after we've done our work and looked after our children and gone to all the sports matches and driven to Queenstown and back, and now we're too tired for church, what is that saying about whose interests we're serving? So who and, our, who and what is our number one? Time, money, resources. If we just break those things down, we can easily see what's our number one. Um, uh, John Besson's wife, Terry, maybe some of you remember her when they were at the church, but she got us to do a little exercise where we, where we looked at the hours in our week and we broke them down and said, how much time are we doing exercise? How much time are we cooking, preparing food, body blah, blah? And actually, how much time do we spend in devotion to God? or doing his work. Um, it was an interesting exercise. And we should do everything as unto God. So there's not like we separate, but I think, I think what she was saying is that we do have time. And she had such a heart for nurses, and she said to the Lord, Lord, I only have half an hour a week. Half an hour, Lord. But I ask that you would use me in that half an hour to reach out to the rural nurses and to encourage nurses. And so faithfully, every single week, she, she had that half an hour. And if you see now what Terry Besson, how God has used her to bless the nurses in this country, there's campaigns, there's banners, there's, it's phenomenal. Half an hour a week. That's how it started. In Haggai 1, the prophet says, the Lord says through him, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Are we prioritizing time to build, God, to build God's kingdom? You see, God's heart was not just for the church in Philippi. God's heart was not just for a place, but a people. And God's heart wasn't just for those people, but the people that those people would reach. It's an incredible multiplying work. So Haramino has heard the gospel and got a church. But now we feel as a church that, that maybe the Lord wants to use us in supporting and in ministering with people who are going to be taking and supporting the people in Haramino to take it further. We, we recently read that Lesotho has, I think, the third highest suicide rate in the world. And we've got to ask, why is the Lord wanting SBC to get involved in Lesotho? I'm not sure, but, but he is. 
<laughs> there was a man in a hut that Dave shared about last week who was this lonely man and we were ministering to other women and telling them about Jesus and we were, Branch was playing, Lord, just lead us to the next person, lead us to the next person and we ended up at his hut. This man had lost his family, they'd, they'd, they'd left, his wife and kids had left, he was on his own, it must be so difficult to try and cook to keep warm. I think the other villagers might not have really, you know, been that welcoming to him. And he just had a, he was just, he was just exhausted. And he'd felt that God had abandoned him. And he knew a bit about Jesus, and he knew about God, but he felt, how could God, how could God love him? And we've got to ask, Lord, really, you would send us to see this man in a hut so we can go pray for him and encourage him? It's just so incredibly beautiful. And we believe that, that, that people are going to be going back there to follow up. Joey and Alyssa have left this church to bless others. And I think that someone once said, you can see the hallmark of a church not by its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. It's hard to lose people. It's hard. We miss them. But it's God's, it's God's will that people lay their life down, their lives down for their friends, and their friends means those in need. So here's what it looks like to have the mind of Christ. It looks like being genuinely concerned and worried about the eternal well-being of God's people. Friends, the cross of Christ dictates that our number one is our neighbor and not ourself. Contrary to popular belief, there's a scripture that I missed um, which is in 2 Timothy 3, where it says, understand this, that in the last days there will, be, will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, and this goes on and on, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Church, we've got to swim in the opposite direction. We cannot be like this. We cannot, we cannot adhere to the world's values that we are worth it, and it's all about me, myself, and I, the selfie generation. I think the Lord is calling us to a higher understanding of what it means, of what it means to be Christ-like. My final point is that a life of worth is found in humble service to Christ. Back to Paul and Timothy, verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son, it's actually a child, I'm not sure why they translated it son, how a child with his, fa with his father, he has served with me in the gospel. So Timothy had proven character, not a general, like he's a good guy, but proven character in service. Um, and this was tested through suffering. You know something's tested, if it's proven to be gold, it goes through the furnace, Timothy had a lot of life experience. He'd ministered in at least five New Testament churches. Timothy was mentored by Paul. Can you imagine it, how it was to be Timothy, never like really being the lead guy? Like he was like the assistant pastor. And he didn't try usurp Paul. He didn't try, he didn't try, there was no mutiny. He was okay being second place because that's where he knew God had him. I mean, obviously, he was left in churches, and he ministered at Ephesus, and, but he was humble, and he, he didn't say, well, Paul, I'm sorry, but I've got dreams and wishes too, so, you know, we're going to part ways now. 
he was humble. He had a servant's heart, which conformed to Jesus' model of leadership. He was like a child with his father. Um, and it says child, not teenager, because <laughs> things do change. <laughs> Children are a lot more, you know, they want to be with their dads, and they want to do everything their dads do, and they reach to, um, yeah, 13, they're like, no. Sorry. <laughs> but that's important as well. But this is like a child. And, you know, just teach me, show me. I'm learning from you. It was a beautiful shared relationship. And it mirrors Christ and his relationship with his father, where Christ says, my will is to do what the father's doing. So how do we apply this point to our lives? Well, I think I want to start with the testing that whatever we are going through right now, God will not waste. If you continue to endure suffering and you persevere and you do not shrink back, God will use it to his glory and to bless others. Romans 5 says, but we rejoice in our suffering. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope doesn't disappoint or shame us because it's poured out it's poured out into our hearts. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Friends, if we, you know, the biggest lie of the enemy is when things are going wrong in our lives, it's to say, you see, God is not good. And when he gets us to say God is not good, we start, we start losing ground. God is good. Though he gives and he takes away, God is good. And if we can hold on to that church and prove our faith when it's tested, it says it's going to be displayed on the day Christ returns. Your faith right now in whatever you are going through is going to be on display when Christ returns. If you prove that you will not shrink back and you will continue to believe that God is good, even when everything shouts that he's not. So let's be faithful in the little. We can make mistakes, but let's be faithful. Let our characters be proved worthy. Moving on to mentorship, because we see this with Paul and Timothy. And I want to ask, does, do you share your life with anyone? Does anyone share? The, and I'm not talking about family. <laughs> I'm, talking about, I'm talking about church family. Because there are so many lonely and isolated people, not just in our city, but here in our church. We need each other. When we are weak, we need someone strong. We need to learn. We need to be in small groups, accountability groups, prayer groups, ministry groups, wherever God has got you, but we need to be serving alongside. And it's not just okay to just show up for church and say, well, I'm a friend of this person or that person. This is actually service. It's actually service. We, we grow so much as a team. This Lucity trip was amazing because like my kids got to some new uncles and aunts and cool teenage young adults family. Um, and they served alongside. They, there's, a, there's a bonding that happens when you do stuff in Jesus together. So I'm going to encourage you to come alongside someone, to ask God, where does he want you to be discipled? Who does he want you to mentor or pray for? A couple um, that I know, they would invite an older couple to their house once a month, a couple that were just that much further in the Lord, so that they could be inspired. 
every single month they would invite a, a, a leadership couple where they felt that they could learn and they would just ask questions. A life of service and partnership for the gospel means that we do things that count together and we use our gifts, we initiate, use our initiative, we don't just give the gospel our leftovers, we become more like our shepherd. So many pastors burn out, why? Can you imagine being a shepherd of like 400 people? It's not, it's not God's way. We should all be shepherds. Some are bigger shepherds, but if we all had pastors' hearts and cared just about the person sitting next to us, there wouldn't be so many lost sheep and pastors wouldn't have to do it all. So, a life of service to the gospel is very different to people-pleasing which does lead to burnout. A life of service to the gospel is freeing. You can ask any of the team members, we felt such freedom and joy. I just wish that it could stay when we got back to East London and we got into real life. But I think when you, when you really know that you're in the will of the, the Father and you're ministering in the Spirit, there's such joy and such peace. Church, we need to live as children of light and to find out what pleases the Lord. And this, um, yeah, this points to what Matt spoke about last week with just being so prayerful about where we are. And I think some of, some of the church are so busy because there's such a great need. And some of that busyness might come from people pleasing, which, which is not pleasing to God. Jesus never did anything because he wanted to please people, right? Actually, a lot of people were displeased by Jesus. He wasn't out to make friends, but he knew what the Father wanted him to do. This woman at the well, Lord. This, this woman, okay, we're going there. This beggar, this blind man, that's no, I'm not called to that. He had a purpose, even when other people, they wanted to make him king, they wanted to say, Jesus, come and do this, come and do that. He's like, no. And if we don't ask the Lord where he wants us to be and where he wants us to embody the love of Christ, we are going to be going like this in every single direction. So as we close, friends, I want to say that Paul and Timothy were not hypocrites. <laughs> They lived what they preached. And more importantly, God is not asking us to do something that he hasn't done himself. God's love for us led to action. He sent his son, the Christ. Love came down. He taught, he healed, he delivered. He traveled, he suffered, he modeled what it was like to live a perfect life. He died, he was raised to life, he witnessed, he commissioned, and he is going to return. He's coming back. God's love for us led to action. Christ shared the Father's genuine concern for us. How did he do that? He was pierced for my sins, my lies, your sins. Christ took on the nature of a servant to fulfill God's purpose. And he willingly gave up his life. He lived a life worthy of the message that he was sent to proclaim. 
He is worthy, and he has told us to do likewise. So as we go now into a time of just ministry and prayer, I believe that the Lord really wants to touch people who have not received that love of Christ that controls or compels or we find it easy to surrender to. There might be people that have never received that love or never experienced it. Maybe you know of it, but you haven't felt it in your own heart. I believe God wants to rekindle that or he wants to touch you. And there might be those who felt it, but a long time ago, that, that the Lord wants to rekindle that, that fire, that passion, that love in your heart. Because we can do nothing without it. And I believe there's some people here that are feeling convicted that they need to move into more action. Maybe you want to join a, um, Neville Chan next week, or maybe you just want to pray for someone. And I had a picture of people like almost being in caves this morning and the caves were hurt and disappointment and, and I feel like God's saying, come out of the cave. I'm not finished with you, come out of the cave. You might be in a season that's tough, but I feel the Lord is calling you out. And then church, we need to be a people whose interests mirror Christ's. What keeps us up at night? Where are our priorities? Where is our time and our resources? Is it going into things that have no eternal significance? And as a mom, I just want to say to other moms, I know how hard this is. You want to give your kids everything. Everything. But we can give them everything that the world has. If we are not preparing them eternally, we are losing the plot. So let's pray and let's ask the Holy Spirit to just come in and touch on whatever you feel that the Lord has spoken to you about. I don't want us to go home the same. So I'm just going to open into a time of prayer. If you feel that you, you want to experience the love of Christ, if you, want, if you feel that you need to reorganize your priorities, if you feel like you want to be moved to action but you don't know where to start, um, you just want prayer. Maybe you're in that place of suffering and you're stuck in a cave. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are perfect in your love for us. I thank you that Lord, every single person in this building is so precious to you. So precious to you. Lord, that you care about what each and every one of us is actually going through right now. And you know our challenges. And Lord, you want to touch us with your love. I believe that this morning, that you want to come by your spirit and fill our hearts with your hope and your grace that you want to move us forward into action. And I pray for boldness now and courage. And I believe there are people here that the Lord is calling. We are all engaged in full-time ministry, but there are people here that the Lord is wanting to train specifically. And I believe that the Lord wants you to respond. And I believe that there are people here that, that, that need to come out of their caves. And so please, church, I'm asking you to respond to the Lord 
by not losing what he is doing here. So as the worship leaders just play quietly, I think if you want to come forward for ministry, for prayer, there are people here who want to pray for you. Lord, these are your people. You are the great shepherd. going to give a few more minutes for you to be quiet before the Lord, to respond to Him personally this morning. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for this wonderful time of your word that's been so rich, so edifying, Lord. It's satisfied our, our spiritual hunger, Lord, but yet we want more this morning. And Lord, we want to pray right now as we sing this song of we lift your name up, Lord. We, we ask that it would be about you, not about us, Lord. Uh, Lord, that this morning's response would be appropriately attached to your worthiness and worth and glory that we, try, we would find our freedom, Lord, in living for you. And uh, Father, again, if there's anybody here that just wants to have people come around and pray, Lord, we just pray that you would give them courage to come. But also, Lord, for us, you give us courage to go this week uh, where you'd want us to in your precious name. We're going to sing, we lift your name higher. <laughs> 